Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Thank you all for coming. My name is Jeff and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's great to see you all. Um, we love to study our Bibles every week. So if you're uh, with us and you want to study with us, you can use a Bible. There's a hardback black Bible underneath the seat close to you. So if you just look up there, you can pull that Bible out and you can use it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18, and we'll read a little bit out of Genesis chapter 21. We're studying kind of one theme and one story here. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's all good. We will put the words up on the screen. Um, I just want to set the stage of where we're headed on this message today. So a couple of weeks ago, we started in Genesis chapter 12 talking about a man named Abraham. Many of you have heard of the story of Abraham. And Abraham was in his own land doing his own thing when God lovingly, I love this, interrupted all of that and gave him an invitation. He says, if you will follow me, then I will give you another land, a promised land that you can have and keep. Now listen, when the invitation to Abraham came, you have to understand, we can surmise that everything was going pretty great for him, right? Maybe like some of our own lives, and then God comes to us with an invitation to leave all of the stability, all of the normalcy, leave all of that behind and come, come follow this crazy thought, this God who is mysterious and yet faithful, follow him into the unknown regions of this world. Now, to be very honest, that's somewhat what our lives look like. That's what my life looked like a little bit. I had some stability in my life, and yet God was asking me to leave some of that to follow him, to become a Christian, to trust him, to on and on it goes. And, and the reality is, is sometimes God wants that for our lives as well. In fact, I would lovingly say that God sometimes wants to just shake the cage of our life that we might wake up. And, and know that he's alive and that he has something great for us and he wants something from us. But it requires a response to the invitation to follow him. It's not something we just consider intellectually. It's not something we go, that sounds like a great idea. One day. No, the response is, follow me, he says. So Abraham says, yes. <laughs> the best stories always begin with yes, whatever you say, Lord. So he says yes and begins to follow God. He brings with him some of his family members. He brings his wife, pretty kind of him, don't you think? Brings his wife, Sarah, along for the ride. And they get into this promised land. And while they're there, God begins to speak to, to Abraham again. And he says these words. He says, not only am I going to give this land to you, Abraham, and to your wife, Sarah, but I'm going to give it to your descendants as well. And, and Abraham, the wheels start to turn in his mind. And he goes, what? But my wife, Sarah, and I, we don't have any children. Like, how? okay, I'm not God, you're God, okay? But how are you going to give this land to my descendants when I don't have any descendants? 
And God promises him, Genesis chapter 12, comes back to him again in Genesis chapter 15, and eventually again in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham, and says, and I promise to give you a son through your wife, Sarah, as well. And then the story continues that God makes an oath with Abraham, a, a covenant of sorts. And he says, and, and I'll, I promise to do these things. And if you believe me that I'll do these things, then you should mark yourself with the sign of the covenant. And, and the sign for him was circumcision. And he says, listen, if you believe that I'm faithful, if you trust me and have faith to know that I can do these things that I say I'm going to do, then mark all of the men in your household, all of your servants and yourself with the mark of circumcision. And so Abraham obeyed and he, and he circumcised himself and all of his servants. What does that waiting room look like? I don't... Next. <laughs> like no one's wanting to be first in this line. All right. All right. So anyways, so we study all of this stuff. And I, and I, I love reading the stories in Genesis about God and Abraham. I mean, two primary characters in the plot line of the story that God wants us to understand. And yet, as I was rereading again this past week, um, Sarah came to mind for me. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, she, she would be what the Motion Picture Association would call a supporting role, right? She's just, she's just living alongside of all of these other things. And when you read the Bible in Genesis, you see that God comes to Abraham. God talks to Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham and on and on and on it goes. And Sarah's just sort of a secondary person in this story. And only every once in a while when Sarah's life, the arc of her life seems to intersect with the story of God and Abraham, do we ever hear about her? And yet, I, I, I want us to hear what I think God would speak to us today through the life of Sarah, that the promises that God was making to Abraham, he was also making to her as well. And, and she had to also wrestle with this disbelief, this distrust, this, this she had to uh, exercise a certain faith to believe in what God would do for her as well. Here, here's the reality of human nature, is we have the proclivity to compare ourselves to everyone else. And by comparison, then we evaluate whether or not our lives are in fact successful or failures. This phrase of keeping up with the Joneses is very much a real thing, yes? Who are these Joneses, by the way? I don't know. And we, but we look to others, we go, man, they took that vacation. I saw it on Facebook. I was actually judging someone here this morning, I'll tell you that right now, who just came back from vacation in Mexico, and I pleaded with him, please stop posting those pictures on Facebook. It drives me nuts. Because we compare ourselves to others. They've got the great house. They've got the great job. Their kids are really obedient when no one's watching. They're... they're <laughs> And over and over and over it goes. And we somehow, we equate that to whether or not our lives are worth anything. Like if we don't have what they have, then we're somehow missing out. And guys, this is not just in material possessions, but it's in the spiritual things as well. That we oftentimes look to the lives of other people, other, other Christians, and, and, and we look at them and we see how they bend their knee very similar to how we bend our knee. And we, we we ask God for things and we pray and, and we, we seek God in, in issues and circumstances in our life. And God seems to respond and respond and respond. But to us, 
It's as if he's not even listening. It's, it's like we're an island in an ocean that is God. And the waves of God's goodness never seem to crash the shores of our lives or our circumstances. Abandoned, isolated, alone in all of this. This is the story of Sarah. This is the story of a tertiary character and the story of God's faithful covenant with Abraham and this, this tag-along woman, Sarah, who's wondering if ever her life will have any, any semblance of meaning. As you can imagine, women oftentimes felt their fulfillment in being able to bear children to their husbands, particularly sons. That's their culture. It's a, it's a real thing. And so she's advanced in age and she has not had a son yet. So she has to at least surmise that her life has no meaning. And, and God, he sees that and he responds to that. Here's one of the things that we do to sort of counteract this, this isolation or this loneliness or this feeling of not winning in life is that we'll find something, one thing or two things that we have a proclivity to be somewhat good at and we throw all of our energies into that, whether it be athletics, maybe schoolwork, maybe your work work, like you're really good at it and you're just like, I'm just gonna be great at this and then I'll, 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 I'll rise to the top of the podium clutching my medal and or trophy and I'll say, look, I've won. My life matters now. <laughs> and, and then you turn around and you see all the other parts of your life that are just broken and heavy and, and not working at all. This is the story of Sarah's life. This is what God wants us to see, um, in, in my estimation, when we read Genesis chapter 18. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask God, through his Holy Spirit, to, to help us. Would that be Okay. So would you guys bow your heads with me? Lord, we do love you for all of our time together. Thank you for the 1045 that we could have an extra hour of sleep. I thought you guys would say amen to that at least. I'll keep praying. It's okay. Even though they had an extra hour, Lord, they are asleep. In Jesus' name. No, we do, we do thank you, God, that we can come and we can, we can rejoice in the work that Christ Jesus has done for us that we don't have to labor to earn your affections, but you are so free to give them, and through Jesus, we can receive them. God, we thank you that Jesus was giving us um, the full measure of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, that we can have the Holy Spirit who can dwell in us and among us, and it is the Holy Spirit that I believe is with us even now. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and ears to see and to hear that which you want us to know. God, I pray that you begin to work inside of us and arrest some of our thinking with, <laughs> God, I'll say this, and if you guys want to agree with me, you can just say amen, and if not, it's fine. But, but God, I give you permission to, to move around in my, um, my understandings and my belief of who you are. I give you permission to shake that up a little bit today. I give you permission to change my opinion of you through the story that I read in Genesis 18 and 21. We give you permission, Lord, and we ask that you do this in a way that would expose your goodness to all who can hear. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Starting in... Um, 
At the end of verse, sorry, chapter 17, again, Abraham and God have this arrangement through a covenant. And, and it says at the end of chapter 17 that, that Abraham obeys. He believes in God, circumcises all the men in his household. We open chapter 18 with this phrase that says, and then the Lord appeared to Abraham again. That's verse 1. And then I'll start reading in verse 9. There's a little story in between there. I'm skipping over that just because I want to get to the story of Sarah. But it is the Lord who comes to Abraham, verse 9, and asks him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham responds. It says, well, she's in the tent. And the Lord said then, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, this is, this is kind of a big deal because Back in Genesis chapter 12, when the, when the promise first came to Abraham and to Sarah that they would have a son, it has been, listen to me, 25 years since God spoke that. 25 years. He comes back in, in, in chapter 15, says it again. Chapter 17, says it again. And now he's saying it here in chapter 18. But he's, he's adding like a condition to it. He says, this time next year, you'll have a son. Um, my wife and I have been talking about going to Seattle. There's a convention in Seattle in, in May of this year, May, June. We've been talking about going to it for over a year now. We knew it was coming, and we keep saying, we should go, we should go, we should go. Maybe we shouldn't go. I don't know. You want to go? We should go. And we just go back and forth and back and forth and check it. My wife tells me last week, Jeff, I bought the plane tickets. We're going to Seattle. Hey, it's a real thing now. And listen, that's what God is doing. So I'm coming back in a year, and your wife's going to have a son. This is not ethereal, heavenly, sort of hanging out there. Maybe one day, he says, within a year, you will have a son. Talk about encouragement. 25 years, she was faithful to believe. Abraham, rather, was faithful to believe. I don't know if we can be faithful for 25 days on some of the promises that God's given us. 25 years is a real thing. And he comes and says, and within a year, you'll have a child, a son. And then Sarah was listening at the tent of the door behind him. And she's listening to this. And it says, now Abraham and Sarah were old. Uh, Moses, who writes Genesis, tells us that they're old, advanced in years. And then poetically, he says these words. And it says, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I mean, very poetically, he tells us that Sarah was in that comparison game that people do with each other. That she's been looking at women who are in her village and or city or around her, and for year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, because Sarah's now 90 years old, she's, she's not been able to live a fulfilled life by having um, a son for her husband. And she sees that, and she says, um, even though that we're old, so in verse 12... I love this part. It says, so Sarah laughed at, at, right, in herself, saying that I have, after I'm all worn out, now my Lord, and my Lord is old, and my husband is old, shall I have this pleasure? Listen to what Sarah is saying. So the Hebrew word for worn out here could be like um, in translated threadbare. You ever have clothes that get threadbare that you just can't wear anymore? They're just like the socks or the whatever just are not worth keeping anymore. They, they should be thrown out, right? That's what she says her life is. She says, nothing. My life means nothing. And now 
God is gonna come and try to do something in my life now, he's going to try to change something. You can almost picture her pushing her walker around saying, now God's going to come and give me a son? <laughs> now I get to have the pleasure of conceiving the, the flutter of the butterfly that so many moms have experienced. Now I get to consider the, the color for the baby's room. Now I get to consider all of this. I get to dream again with you now. She laughed at this idea. You have to hear this. What, what Sarah's intimating to us is she's teaching us her theology of who God is. Theology would just mean the study of or the knowledge of God. She's telling us who she thinks God is to her. See, when God comes and says, in a year you'll have a son, and she's listening in, she laughs because she doesn't know God that way. That's not who God is to her. You know who God is to her? The God who doesn't answer prayers. That's who God is to her. See, immediately we begin to think, if God was able, if God was strong enough, if God cared enough, if he loved me, if he just looked at my life, but for a moment he would change this already. And he hasn't. So obviously God doesn't care. He isn't able. He isn't strong enough. And on and on it goes. She's teaching us her theology of who God is. The, the unfortunate reality is sometimes you and I do the same thing. Sometimes you and I, we let the experiences of our life dictate our understanding of who God is. Let me say it a different way. We need to supplement or add to our knowledge of who God is, not just with the experiences that we have had, but through the pages of Scripture. Why is this important? Because if we just lean on how God's interacted with us and never look to see all the faithful ways that he interacted with other people, we'll miss pieces of who he is. We'll, be think, we'll begin to think he's impotent to help, weak, uncaring, unkind. But it's not true. It's not true at all. The, the pages of our diaries cannot be the only thing that describes who God is for us. We have to look to the stories of antiquity, the men and women who lived before, the very words of God to tell us who he is. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth with his voice. My life doesn't say that story. A flood's coming, Noah, build a boat. Build a boat or you'll drown, all of you, build a boat. And through faith, Noah builds a boat and God rescues him. I see the care of God in that story. Sometimes the pages of my life don't show that. Abraham is called to follow God and we see provision after provision after provision after provision in these stories from Scripture. And it, it begins to educate me who God really is. Anyone? It's not just the stories of our own lives. God is greater than our own lives so much greater than our own lives. Sarah laughs and tells us her theology. He can't help. I wonder if Abraham ever told his wife the stories. Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham. I'm gonna give you the promised land, give it to your son. He's like, that's awesome. And he never tells his wife. I wonder if this is the first time she's hearing it. We don't read in scripture. Now, this is an inference on my part. I'll stand way over here. Here's the Bible. I'm over here. This is what I think. I think he was a dumb husband. 
right? Guilty. I think he forgot to tell her what God kept telling him. It's as if she's leaning outside the tent going, do what again? I'm having a son again? What is this? Like this, this is incredulous to her. And she laughs. I can't believe this. She didn't have the faith to believe like Abraham did. And so the Lord, verse 13, he says to Abraham, um, why did Sarah just laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Why did she laugh at that? You know, did you tell your wife or did, I, did you leave that part out? And then, and then here's, here's the question that God asks, and I wonder if he wants to ask you today. Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord to do? See, our lives can look a lot like Sarah's. It might not be conception with a son, but it could be any number of other things. And we could be laboring for that one thing that we believe God, if he would only give it to us, our life would have a a fullness and a fulfillment to it. And for whatever reason, God has yet to give us that. She She doesn't think God could conceive a child inside of her. She doesn't believe that. And unfortunately, because you and I have labored long over some of these things that we desperately want, we're beginning to think that God is incapable of helping us too. Call it the hamster wheel of the Christian life. <laughs> right? Martin Luther famously said that the life of a Christian is one of repentance. Do you know what repentance is? It just means return to where God was. Why do you need to return to where God was? Because you walked away from him again. God never moves, bro. He's always right there. And yet we wander away. We begin to believe that God is incapable, unable, unwilling, uncaring, unkind, unloving. And we read the stories in Genesis and we go, but wait, he did come to Sarah. Now, granted, it wasn't in her timing, but he came. And all of a sudden, our theology begins to shift again. And we repent and we say, God, you can do this. I had my first panic attack when I was 13 years old. 13. What is going on in a 13-year-old's life that would cause panic to settle? Feel free to laugh at this, but I was convinced it was because I'd been listening to Ozzy Osbourne records. (laughs) Particularly Diary of a Madman. (laughs) You wonder, right? (laughs) Right? So after I threw those away, I began to, um, I'm trying to fast forward. I find myself in high school and, and the anxiety. I'm a nervous person. I'm a white knuckler. Any white knucklers? Go to the dentist. Fly. Any white knuckle? Okay, that's me. It's kind of who I am, and I understand that. Um, I get through high school, and everything seems to be fine. And then I land in college, and, and, and panic and anxiety hit me so hard, it was debilitating. There were days I could not get out of bed to go to class. My parents lovingly sent me to a therapist, you know, and this guy talked me off the ledge. I can't tell you how many times. He helped me under, understand that I'm, in fact, not going insane, but there are just some things in my life I've got to address and deal with. Now, I want you to know this. I was not a believer at the time. Fast forward, I'm 26 years old. I meet a really cute girl. She's my wife now. I love her, right? She skipped church today. Call her and let her know. She's, she's not here today. I'm just saying, right? So... <laughs> If you text her, I will be in so much trouble. It's too late. Oh, dang it. 
she, she literally is home with a fever. So she didn't skip. She's home. I'm just sick. Oh, yeah. I marry the cutest girl I've ever known, and I became a Christian the same year. Man, it's so, you have no idea how wonderful it was to leave that, that period of my life behind, to leave anxiety and panic behind. That is, until 2007. I've been married about 10, 11 years now, and that summer of 2007, um, panic and anxiety came back in a, in a way that I've never experienced in all of my life. In 30 days, I lost more than 20 pounds. I was sleeping maybe three or four night or hours a night. My wife was at her wits end. She had no idea how to help me. All she could do was play Christian music in the house. 24-7, WBGL. Uh, I know, right? 24-7. But here's what was happening. It was, it was doing something to me. What I didn't know then that I know now is that the, the new man inside of me, the new creation that God had, had birthed in me through faith in Christ, that this, this new person was desiring the very words of God that are proclaimed in those songs. He is faithful. He is good. He is loving. He never forgets. He never breaks his promises. And yet the theology of my life was wrestling with that. Back and forth and back and forth. Finally, the, the theology of <laughs> Christian contemporary music won. Yes, amen. <laughs> and now as I pastor a church and I labor and I labor over the scriptures, it's, it's causing me to wrestle again. He was faithful to Sarah and yet I'm the ner most nervous person you've ever probably seen in your life. I'm anxious all the time. I went to the dentist on Monday. I mentioned that. And before he starts, I'm like, doc, I got to tell you, I'm feeling a little way about right now. I just, he's like, well, sit back down. You'll be fine. I'm like, is there a buckle for this chair? Because I just, it, it hurts. I wish I wasn't like this. And I look at Sarah's life and I bet the same words came out of her mouth. I wish my life was different. I wish my this. I wish my that. And on and on it goes. But God comes to her. Let's fast forward now to Genesis chapter 21. And, and let your heart hear this. Let your heart hear what, what Moses tells us. And then the Lord visited Sarah. No longer is she on the sidelines. No longer is she a supporting actress in this great plot line that God is working out through Abraham. Abraham, God comes to her. He speaks to her. He comes to her and he, he visits her as he said he would and he did to Sarah as he promised he would. And Sarah conceived. The issue in her life was her, her barrenness. And God met her in that. And that might not be the story for us here. Your story might be different than mine. Mine, of course, is, is anxiety and, and the nervousness that is daily living for me. But, but your story might be something else. But hear me, God came to Sarah and he did to her what he promised he would do. 
See, when you and I wrestle our theologies of our experience versus the theologies of what the true God looks like, then we have to sort of get to this understanding that it might not happen yet, but it doesn't change who he is. See, there's another component. There's a timing issue that God needs us to understand here, that he, he came to Sarah at the appointed time. He came to her. It was 25 years in his timeline, but it was at the exact time that he wanted to come. And when he did, it changed for her. Now, that's not very comforting for those of us who've been waiting and waiting and waiting, yes? So while we're waiting, while we believe the promises of God to be true, while we're continuing to pray and hold fast to the healing that God would bring to us, we have to flex into this other doctrine about God that stings to even say that God is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign what does that mean? It just means he's in control. He's in charge. He understands there's not a star that blinks that he doesn't say, blink. You hear me? There's a Hebrew thought that, that when you drop a pencil, it's not gravity that's causing it to fall to the ground, but it's God saying, down. Nothing moves without God telling it to move. Do you hear this? And in his sovereignty, he's choosing to work here and here and here and sometimes not <laughs> Why? So in my studies this week, I, I tried to do a, a lap or two around this, this idea or the doctrine of suffering. Why am I suffering? There are many reasons, maybe, why suffering exists in the Bible. But one of them stood out to me over all the rest. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had this issue. The Bible calls it a thorn in his side. We don't truly know what it was. There's some conjecture what it could be, but it doesn't matter. What we learn is that God never took the thorn from his side. In fact, sometimes these things are humbling things to us. Sometimes these issues in our life are in fact beneficial. Oh, beneficial to us for a couple reasons. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, it could humble us. Could you imagine if I had nothing holding me back? How big would my head get? You don't know me very well. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a musician. We are, that's, if we have nothing but ego, it's what we got. But anxiety, every Sunday when I get up here and I implore upon the Lord, do, do your work, Lord, because I can't. I can't today. And he shows up. I'm like, oh, that's so great. So, it's humbling. Secondarily, it's like the college student who comes home every two weeks to have his laundry done. Right? That's my story. The anxiety in my life oftentimes drags me back to, to God, the comforter of my anxiety. I, I, I'm saying this out loud, and I did, I've never said this in my life. I mean, God can do what he wants to do, yes? But if he never took anxiety away from me, I would be okay with it. Because there are days when I, I need it to drive me back to where he is. I, I need it. I need to know that I've wandered away from him again. A friend of mine prayed for me a long time ago. She said, I'm not going to pray that God takes your anxiety away. And I went, why? Why would you? I don't like you all of a sudden. And you call yourself a friend. And she said, I'm just going to ask God to show you why you get anxious. Now, now that was a real simple prayer and almost like cruel. I want you to know, that prayer was prayed for me in 2007, right? I, don't, I can't do the math right now, but that's a lot of years ago. 
three or four years ago, I think. <laughs> right? And, and I, have, I have seen um, God show me when, when I get anxious again, I begin to see these little bitty triggers in my life. I've drifted from devotional reading of the Bible. I begin to dabble in sin, some sins that my wife don't even know about. I begin to do some other things. And I start wandering out here in the pasture that is not where God is. And all of a sudden, the anxiety in my life seems to escalate. And God uses it to straighten me up. Yes? God comes to Sarah. She conceives a son. Verse 4, Abraham circumcises said son. They name him Isaac, which just means he laughs, which I love. His name is he laughs. Right? You laugh at me, God says. Check this. Now, every time you call, he laughs for dinner, you're going to remember that's what you did. <laughs> he laughs. Time for school. He laughs. <laughs> Verse 6, Sarah says that God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And then she says this. Ah, oh, this is so good. She says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Like, who would have said that Sarah would have a baby? Who would have said that? You know who would have said that? No one. No one would have thought Sarah could have a child. Oh, wait, there is one who said it. You want to guess who it was? It was God. See, God said she'll have a son. God said, you'll conceive. In a year, you'll have a baby. God said these things. And when God says it, it's enough for us. As I um, was thinking about Sarah, this sort of tertiary character, again, in the, the, the plot line of Abraham and faith, I was reading in Hebrews 11. It's a New Testament book. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Some think it was Paul. Some think it was someone that's not Paul, it doesn't matter. But in chapter 11 of the, the book of Hebrews, they have what they call the hall of faith. And, and the, the writer begins to talk about all of the Old Testament characters who were just girded up and strengthened in faith. And we've got Noah in there. We've got Moses in there. We've got Abraham in there. And in verse 11 of chapter 11, we've got Sarah. Huh? The, the one who was sort of left out of the tent when the meeting took place, who was willing to lean in to hear what God was saying, Sarah was included in the hall of faith. Let me read this to you from Hebrews 11, verse 11. And it says by, oh, wrong, wrong verse. By faith, there it is. Sarah herself received the power to conceive. Now, I want you to just focus on this for a few minutes. How did Sarah conceive a child? I mean, I know how, right? We understand that. But how, how did she, should she go from un or barren to fruitful? How, what happened? There was a power moment that God had to give her, okay? Would you agree with that? We need the power to transform our lives, right? Why do you need power? Because you can't do it on your own, right? I say this all the time. No one in this room has lied to you more than you. No one. This is the year I'm changing. This is the year I'm fixing. This is the year I'm whatever. I'm dieting, whatever. We all know that's fake, right? Because you know why? Because you don't have the power to change it. But who does? 
God does, yes. So, so it was power that came from God to help her conceive. Here's the question. I get excited. Where did she get the power? From God. How did she get the power? The answer is by faith. Here's the next question, right? Logically, where did she get the faith to believe? Do you know the answer to this? Because we already read it. You should know. Everyone should shout it out right now. You missed it. Did you miss it? Go back to chapter 18, verse 10. Chapter 18, verse 10. God comes to Abraham, (laughs) and he's talking to him. The Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And where's Sarah? It says, and Sarah was listening at the tent door. Where does the faith come to believe? Where does the faith come to receive the power to change our lives? It comes from hearing. It comes from hearing God speak. It comes from hearing the stories of God's life. Here's one thing that I know. People who are suffering need people who have suffered to give them hope to believe that God could change their situation. Not not to belittle this, but if I had a dollar for every time someone came to me and says, would you please talk to me about anxiety? Would you please help me with anxiety? Would you help my son with anxiety? Would you meet with my grandkid about anxiety? Yes, of course I will. You need to know I still struggle with it. Oh, but I got hope that God can fix it. See, the testimony, the spoken words of what God has done and continues to do in our life, it bolsters a faith in us that empowers the change to take place. In my mind, there's a much larger amen at the end of that statement. (laughs) You want to go another lap? (laughs) Yes, when, when we hear people testify, guys, and again, not just from the, the, the pages of their diaries, but from the pages of scripture. When I get up here and I declare God's own words, it's changing you, and some of you don't even know it yet. It's changing you. That's why we are so dedicated to expository teaching, line-by-line teaching, out of the Bible, because it is the lines of the Bible that can transform our lives. We learn who Jesus is from this. Then we encounter him, we receive him by faith. Now the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, look out, and we have power to then live our lives. Victory and victory and victory. And all of this is is held under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. That until victory comes, it doesn't change our theology of him. Until the breakthrough or whatever language we want to use comes, until the recovery happens, until the addiction is broken, until the marriage is restored, until all of these things, we just hold fast to the belief that God wants to change them. That God, in fact, can change them and will change them in his time. It doesn't change who he is for us. I'm done. (laughs) 
If you've never been to Renaissance before, that's typically how things end around here. I just stop. <laughs> they have lovingly given me a timer, and I have 52 seconds. I want to pray for us in the last minute here. The band is going to return. Um, we're going to sing songs declaring the goodness of who God is. And an invitation will then be in front of you to sing with, right, with your mouth or your heart, but to, to join in with the chorus of those people who believe God to be good and faithful. We can sing to him and, and, and watch, listen, and watch our theology of who he is begin to transform in front of us. That's what we get to do now. The band comes back up for the next 10 minutes or so. We'll, some of us will stand and sing. Some of us will sit and sing. Some of us will sit and whatever. Some of us will, will leave this room and go out to the right. We have a, a prayer room out there and we'll pray for people out there. And I say this every week. We don't pray out there because it's more holy or special. We pray out there because it's quieter out there. I want to hear you. I want to hear what you're, what you're dealing with. I want to... Excuse you. I want to <laughs> hear the struggles that you're having. You know why? Because I bet I've had some of those. And let me give you hope. Let me give you hope. Let me, let me point to Jesus in all of those. The, the story of Sarah's life seem, seems almost insignificant unless you're Sarah. Unless that's your story. And all of us have the thing in our life that, that causes us to not feel like we're measuring up. That our life is unfulfilled, incomplete. I think one of the things that so resonated with Sarah is when she was listening in um, to God and to Abraham. Is he, is she, is, is God is saying these things, she could almost... You could almost hear her say, that's just too good to be true. If only it were that easy. I'm going to return next year. You're going to have a baby. <sighs> if only it were that easy. It seems too good to be true. And when I, when I hear phrases like that, I'm immediately reminded of the gospel of Jesus. That to receive Jesus by faith and, and to have the hope of eternal salvation in heaven in eternity with God forever, it seems too good to be true. See, religion would dictate that we have to labor and work hard to receive things from God. But that's not the, 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 the language the Bible uses. It's faith in Christ alone, that Christ came and he, he died on a cross for us. God raised him from the dead. Now through faith in that, we can have a relationship with God and the fullness of God's spirit, as I mentioned earlier, is available to us. And that seems too good to be true. Listen, if you have any proclivity to have religious thoughts in your brain, it is, it is by God's great design that you are here today to have those things extracted from you. That is a false teaching. It is not true. You do not, you cannot earn anything from God. He gives it to you. We receive it from him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. 
And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.